It is said that reading is a way to escape your own life. It can take you to faraway places. It can put you into other people's shoes, can make you more empathetic, make you sleep better, relieve your stress, and so on and so on. Today, though, we're going to be talking to W.L. Hawken about a romantic adventure near her home in Vancouver, Canada. Her latest book is about the Lure River at Romances. So don't go away. We'll be back. <laughs> just join us and welcome to the Writer's Corner live show. I'm your host, Bridget Lombanda from Cape Town in South Africa. Our live stream is made possible by Creative Edge, StreamYard and BeLive Media. So a special warm welcome to you, our audience, whether you are watching us over on Amazon Live. Just know that the comment comments are being monitored in real time. I've got my iPhone here and I'm monitoring the comments on Amazon Live. If, however, you are watching us over on Facebook, on YouTube, on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, do know that those comments are also being monitored in real time. And if it's the first time that you watch the show, we've been going live for over three and a half years. But if it's your first time, we would love to give you a shout out to welcome you. And my first shout out, the very first shout out goes over to Vasanth Kumar. Um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce your surname because I'm going to get it wrong, but a very, very warm welcome to you, Vasanth, over on Facebook. So everyone watching us live, a great hello out to you. Now, one of the things that we're very passionate about um, on the Writer's Corner Live show, because we do know that a lot of our authors are still doing online uh, book launches and online presentations about their books. And so we like to show you how you can level up on your own online um, appearance. So one of the things that both I and my co-host use is the Logitech Brio camera, which we both love. Um, and the Logitech Brio camera is highly recommended or we highly recommend it because it's got uh, trademarked right light HDR technology and all that gobbledygook really means that it will adjust your light automatically so you don't have to invest in too much lighting to look good, which is an absolute bonus. And then for, um, for audio, what I recommend and what I use is the Samsung um, condenser microphone. Samsung, incidentally, was the world's first USB condenser, produced the world's first USB condenser um, microphone. It's got a very, very solid die cast construction, which reduces noise vibrations and makes it ideal for people who are doing um, live streaming or live events. But not everybody wants to have a huge, big 
um, microphone or not everyone needs one, what you can also do is use something like the Rode Lavalier um, microphone. It's a high quality lapel microphone and that works great. The windshield cuts out word whiskers. Um, so that's also a great bonus. Now I know that a lot of our authors and may just simply use their phones to go live and that's also great because the cameras and the phones are absolutely incredible but you don't want to make people feel seasick and I also want to give a shout out to Tish over on Amazon live welcome Tish great to see you so the other thing that I recommend if you are doing a book launch or talking about your book using your phone you don't want to hold your cap your um your phone in your hand because it makes people feel seasick if it's if your hands shaking you don't want to use some kind of a stabilizer um, and what I recommend is something like the DJ um, Osmo it's a three-axis smartphone gimbal or otherwise you can use something like an iographer on top of your uh, tripod to stabilize it and do put it into land do put your phone into landscape mode um, because I don't know if you guys noticed Sometimes you see those black lines. Those black lines mean that your phone is um, is not in landscape, it's in portrait. So if you want to get a better picture, do put your phone into portrait mode. And, uh, and then for people who really want to be fancy, um, they could use something like the Stream Deck to change scenes. That's another one of the things that I recommend, which is the Stream Deck. But on to more amazing things, which is the the whole point of our show today our guest today is wl hawken but before i introduce our um, amazing guest for today my amazing co-host is mary elizabeth jackson she's a mom she is an author she's a ghostwriter um, and she lives in the usa now one of the things, one of her latest books that you really do want to go and have a look at, she has co-written with Thornton Klein, and it's called Cheers from Heaven. Do check that book out over on Amazon Live. So let me welcome my amazing co-host. Hi, how are you today? I'm good in you. I'm good. I, it's nice to see you, and we're excited about our author today. And, and uh, you know, February is the month of love, even though we can love all the time, right? So romance is in the air, and we have red in our background, and so, you know, <laughs> it's a perfect time to talk about love, isn't it? So, yes, so W.L. Hawken um, writes romantic adventures from a home in Canada, as we said earlier and going to be talking about the Lure River romances. It's set in a small town romantic suspense series in the American Midwest in the fictional town of Lure River. I wonder how she came up with that name. We'll have to ask her. I'll have to ask her what the back, yes, what, yes, what got her to say that or to put that. Yeah, I know. I love the cover too. The cover is just beautiful. It's a stunning cover. I want to ask her about that. And she mentioned something very interesting. She said that she graduated from the Trent University with a BA in Indigenous Studies. But at this time, she discovered that her great-great-grandmother was an Indigenous woman. Very interesting. interesting. We'll have mm -hmm. to ask her about that. 
Anyway, yes. so shall we invite our amazing guest uh, to come and join us on screen? Let's do. Hi, Wendy. Wendy, how are you? Welcome. I'm great. Am I unmuted now? Yes, you're unmuted. Okay, yeah, awesome. You Thank you. you. Thank you for that lovely welcome there. Yeah, do you feel <laughs> loved beautiful. and special? I do. <laughs> Good. That's lovely. <laughs> we want you to feel loved. <laughs> so, yeah, we want to dive right in. So, okay. Brigetti, what do you want to know? I know I want to know a bunch also. Wendy, how did you get started as an author? I'm I'm always keen to know because sometimes it's a teacher, it's a mom, it's uh, you know, someone in your life, or you just love reading. So what was it that you, you just fell into it? An author? Yeah. Gosh, that's a really complicated question. I did I did have a fantastic, I've had two fantastic English teachers in my life, um, one in grade eight and one in grade nine. Um, and I quit school in grade eleven. With, with a grade 10 education. So I was really bad at English, or sorry, bad at science and math, but I excelled in English. So I was writing way back when, and they were very helpful in being supportive of me and saying, you know, you're a great writer and all those things. And so I was writing poetry in my teenage years, and then I wrote songs. And, and then after that, um, I wrote my first novel, actually, it's, oh, wait a minute, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that. So the first novel I completed is was in 1990, um, while I was divorcing my ex-husband, and while I was starting my degree in Indigenous Studies, and this is it. So I actually wrote this 30 years ago as a draft, and I... Uh, wrapped it all. I, I, I was dreaming it and I was writing it on my old Commodore 64. And mm -hmm. I wanted to know if I could finish it. And I did. I finished the whole thing. And then I wrapped it all up in brown paper and tucked it away. And I just carried it around. So a couple of years ago, I found it. And uh, I thought, oh, maybe I should read this and see where I was at back then. And I read it like, wow, it's a romance. That's interesting. And uh, I, yeah, I know. And I rewrote it. So it's, a, it's different. A lot, of it's, a lot of it has the same bones, but a, a lot of it's different. And of course, my writing has, has changed. But this was my first. Okay. So was, wow. okay. So is that what turned into lore or yes. is that a different? Oh, it is. No, okay. that is what turned into lore. How interesting is that? I mean, you know, yeah. we we have a friend, an author, a friend of ours, uh, Daniel, David McDaniel, Bergetti and I love this story because I think it took him 
30 years to write his actual first novel. And he had about 200,000 words, I think, in it. So the publisher made him cut it into two. So I think now he's on his third, you know, and so, but it, but it took him, he had been working all this time, but you tucked it away and then, and then brought it back. And, and how amazing is that to go back and see where you were at then? And, and did you have the experience of, of looking at it and going, Hmm, that wasn't half bad. Or, you know, like you said, the bones were still there, but it, how much have your, how much of, has your quality, I guess your writing's going to be totally different now, but you know, I, I think we can still, even 30 years later, have like a, the same kind of theme or the same kind of sound or tone oh, yeah. to how we're telling the story. So is it still the same for you or you totally, completely changed it? Well, you know what? I started I started actually opening it up and, and, and writing kind of word for word off of the uh, off of the manuscript that I had. And uh, and I got and I kept the characters pretty much intact. And I got partway through it, and then um, what happened is the the main character found the bones of an indigenous woman in her shed, and and when I when that happened, because I'm an intuitive writer, mm-hmm. I I just immediately said, well, who is this, and and what what is your story? How did you end up here? And I started talking to the to the indigenous woman, and then it it ended up being a girl. She's she's 15, and she came through and basically told me her story. So I took that that story and I interwove it throughout the the story of Jesse and Hawk. And that has become it's a really powerful piece to it. That so this has a romantic suspense. Yes, there's a romance, but there's also some really important issues in here and that that uh, flow out of it. Yeah. And the characters are they are they entirely fictional or is it based somewhat on some true stories. <laughs> They're fictional characters. I would say, though, I find now reading it that they are more like me than anybody else I've ever written. And I think maybe because <laughs> it was <laughs> it was my first book, and because I was going through, uh, you know, a lot of traumatic stuff at the time, uh, it it shows in here. So. One thing about me is I've always wanted to live in a cabin in the bush. It's one of my romantic dreams. I know it's not always an entirely a romantic thing when you do it in real life, <laughs> which Jesse finds out. But um, but it's something I always wanted to do. And, and I also rode around a lot when I was a kid. I had a horse and I was a loner. And I rode around in the bush on my horse a lot. And she spends quite a bit of time in this book doing that. So that's that stuff I really have a, a feel for. And then even with Hawk, Hawk, um, Hawk believes he was born in the wrong century to the wrong people. And I always felt that too, that I didn't belong where I was. And I had been sort of, I'd ended up in this place and, and I've been trying to figure out who I am for all these years. Actually, I'm still trying to figure out who I am. And um, so that comes through with him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you know, I've had that experience with with someone before where they did not, they felt so out of place. And I think Mm -hmm. 
I, I think that's normal to some degree for so many people, so many kids and, and people to go through, especially I think kids in their middle, their middle teens tend to experience that kind of identity, uh, you know, crisis of, you know, feeling like they're in the wrong place, the wrong time. Um, and you know, as storytellers, you, what I, what I'm getting from, I, I feel like that you probably do this as well. It, when we, hear something about our family and history, we want to know about the story and what drove that person and what goes, what did they do and what were they thinking? And what were they feeling? And we instantly, I guess, as storytellers start to see this story in our head and we want to write about it. So it sounds like that is exactly what it's exactly what you did and ex exactly what you feel. And it made for an incredible story. So isn't it interesting? Yeah. So much from our past and a person who lived that life might have thought they had lived a very insignificant life in this world. But to us, it was so significant and powerful. You, you know, that's really interesting that you say that because um, I have this, this story that's about that. And then the piece I am just starting to work on now is a creative nonfiction piece that I'm working on about my ancestors because mm -hmm. I've really got into that and and if my great great grandmother knew how significant she was in my life i i think she would be really stunned by it but she she is she's the huge key factor in my life and my development so i want to write a i want to write her story so that's that's what my my next creative piece is going to be that sounds really 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 exciting Wendy, mm -hmm. can i ask you to read a section out of your book I mean, sure. it just sounds so thrilling. I know. I am, I, I'm so excited about it. Okay. Um, here is the cover you oh, were talking about. I don't, cover, I just, cover is gorgeous. Who designed that cover for you? I did. Oh, I you did a good job. You did a great wow. job. And it really yeah, popped. Yeah, I the did. color pops. You know, it yeah. really, that, that's one that will catch your eye on a bookshelf. And that's what you go for. I hope so. All right, I'm actually just going to read from the beginning, and I know sometimes you shouldn't do that because the beginnings are so crucial. But um, I think it's a good way to a good way into the characters a little bit. <clears throat> so this is called Deer Slayer. Jessie held her breath, her muscles as tense as the trees hiding her. Through the telephoto lens on her old Nikon F2, the buck appeared close enough to touch. Angled perfectly, he browsed a patch of wild strawberries at the edge of the thicket. The sunlight broke through the pines and stretched across the glade, framing the deer in a golden glow. Jessie was downwind, the light was ideal, the moment was perfect. The buck glanced up, uneasy, perhaps perceiving her presence with some intuitive force known only to animals surviving in the wild. Stay with me, I won't hurt you. I only want to show the world how beautiful you are. The faintest crackling twig, bird wave, scratch or yawn, would send the buck dashing, white tail erect. She knew he'd bolt at the first click of the shutter and was glad of it. His wariness would keep him alive, but the first shot had to be the best. He dropped his head to browse and she sipped in a breath. Then he raised it again, turned his thick neck and stared in her direction. The white rectangular patch on his neck matched that of his inner ears and the edge of his black button nose. Jessie focused on the eyes, black and intense, they bored straight through her soul. Pressing her finger to the shutter, she heard the motor drive fire. One, two, three. Then a soft whoosh, a muted thwack. 
Blazing hard, the black eyes slid from view as she stared through the lens, heart racing, mind spinning. The butt crashed to his knees, shaking the earth as he hit the ground. Letting go of the shutter release, Jesse sprang from the bushes, but her right foot caught one leg of the tripod and sent her sprawling into a patch of stinging nettles. Cursing, she picked herself up and ran to the deer, wringing her throbbing hands. Smeared berries marred the buck's moist black nose. The dead eyes stared. She knelt and touched the tip of the thick bulbous antlers. They'd not yet hardened into points. He was young and healthy. Tears burned in her eyes. Working as a nature journalist, she encountered wounded and dead animals at times, but each one broke her heart. You poor thing, what happened? When she noticed blood beneath the buck's left foreleg, she used both hands to shift the body. A broken arrow jutted from a gash. Head up, she took a quick breath. Hunters, where? How's that? Oh, nice. <laughs> well, I could totally see the whole scene and I could feel being there, you know, yeah. being her, run, you know, going toward that. And and so that is the job of the, uh, the writer, isn't it? To bring yeah. people in so they can actually feel it, see it, taste it, smell it. And, you know, if you can't do that, you don't have the guts of a story, do you? No. So. No. Yeah. Wow. Well, as I was saying, like I'm an intuitive writer. And so this is actually the first book that I dreamed quite a bit of it. And mm. that scene is from a dream I had 30 years ago. And, and I actually saw it like when I was waking in the morning, you know, it, when you wake up in the morning, you're kind of in that half state of unconsciousness, which is a really creative space. You're in right. theta brain. And, yeah. and, uh, and I would see the whole thing. And of course, you know, who's on the other end of that arrow is, is our, is our hero. And, uh, and then I would get up and, and write it all down on my Commodore 64. So that's an original scene from, from way back. Wow. And look yeah. at how creative and descriptive you were 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is your destiny, right? I think so. Yeah. I, think so. <laughs> and I mean, I've written a lot of books in between. But um, it, it's kind of fun being uh, being that this was the first. Amazing. That was great. It, it was, that's beautiful. So well, we, go ahead. <laughs> I also want to ask, you know, a lot of people, um, <laughs> or not all authors, decide to have a publicist. Do you have one and why? I do have a publicist. And I think... I guess that started because um, I'd written all these books and I had, I had published my whole Hollystone mystery series pretty much. And, um, but I didn't do much other than some local readings. And, and I knew that that's the piece that I was missing because I'm such an introvert. I'm not the person who can phone up and say, Hey, can I be on your show? But if somebody says to me, Hey, you're going to be on this show. I'll be like, okay. <laughs> and, I, and I can show up and I can do it. And, you know, I was a teacher long enough that I can get up and talk in front of people and that's not a problem. But making those initial phone calls, I'm just really not good at that. So um, I actually found uh, Mickey Mickelson at Creative Edge through another friend of mine who's on another group called the Creative Academy. And she was getting all this um, press on Facebook and everything. And I and I emailed her and I said, OK, what? what are you doing? How are you getting all these shows? <laughs> She's like, oh, oh, um, it's okay. You know, somebody put me on there. And I said, well, like who, how are you doing this? She was in this um, 
uncaged article with her pet. And I really wanted to do that because I love my dog so much. So <laughs> she said, well, this is the person. So I ended up talking to him and, and uh, he signed me about a year ago, just as my last book in my series was coming out. So, yeah. And, and you know, it's well, you know what, really I, important. It's really important to have that support. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a vital, you know, we, as authors, we have to think about where we're spending our money and what's important. And, and I was talking to somebody about this recently, you know, when you're getting married, you spend your money, you want to spend your money on good pictures, good video. So you have sure. those memories. And, and I just think having a publicist, um, and we have the same publicist and, and Mickey just is an amazing person, but I, I think it's one of those accessories. If, if you want to call it an accessory that you have to have, he, let's just say, He's like lipstick for women, right? There you go. I just need a hashtag, <laughs> right? You know, the way that I like to um, explain that is if you were to walk into that, it gives you a sense of authority. You know, if you were walking, if you were to walk into a courtroom without a lawyer, would anybody really take you seriously? But you know, if 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 you walked in and you say, talk to my lawyer, talk to my publicist. You know, right. or if you were to walk into a library and say, you know, I've just, this is going to be my, my, you know, I've just released a new book, but talk to my publicist. Doesn't it give you a sense of authority? For sure. Um, For sure. Well, and, and he record and he, and he, that's what he has us do though. You know, I, we are supposed to, if, you know, if somebody says they want to book us on something, we have to, uh, you know, direct them toward him. So you know, that's the thing to do. And yes, Virginia, you're completely right. You know, I, I I actually unfortunately had an experience like that in April going into court without a lawyer over something. And it's interesting how you, you're you not treated the same way. Even if you could handle it, you just aren't treated the same way. So hmm. it's a different experience. So absolutely. Getting a publicist is definitely um, something that you want to do. Just a, a sort of like a final question from from me. Do you have any sort of hidden gems in the book that someone you know may recognize? I'm not sure. Um, there is in this book. Okay, Hawk. Um, so we have we have Jesse as the wildlife photographer, and she's a vegan, and we have Hawk as the as the hunter who's gone back to nature and he's living in a cave. He's been there for three years and yeah. he, they're both, they're both very distraught and, and working on um, healing after their, after losing someone. And uh, so I think that the interesting thing here is there's a lot of um, indigenous spirituality throughout the book. And I would say that's a bit of a hidden gem. And as I said, at the time I was, I was just starting, I was starting my studies at Trent University in the Indigenous Studies. And, and it, Trent University is, I think, a different university than any, as, at least the Indigenous Studies department is different than any that I've ever seen um, because it's taught by all in Indigenous people who are traditional people for the most part. And there are elders that come in and speak you know, when they're going to, this is how my experience was 30 years ago. Anyway, when they, um, when we were going to do a, uh, a ceremony in the theater, you know, they would come through and they would, they would smudge the whole place with sage before we started. And 
I did so much healing work there for myself because when you think about it, you know, I was a wild child and then quitting school um, just around when I was like 16 and moving to Toronto, I had a lot of healing work I needed to do because when you're in that situation, you, you get yourself into situations that require healing work. And so I did that there. And I did that by listening to elders and, and really getting enmeshed in that culture and doing a lot of journaling. And because there is this, um, this sense of body, mind, spirit, emotion, and the whole person. So when you're doing the healing, it's not just going and talking to someone like in a counseling office. It's a whole other uh, piece that, that kind of puts you back together as a whole person. And I'm really, really grateful for that time I had there. So that is a little bit of what Hawk is doing out in his, in his cave. And he, so there is, you know, there's a piece where he does a sweat lodge in there. Um, he uses tobacco to honor the animals. He's, he's really, he's really trying to live, to live and walk his talk. And I think that's an important piece of it. And the other, the other gem I would, I would just like to mention is, is about the, the, the missing Indigenous woman, because murdered and missing Indigenous women is a huge is a huge piece here in in uh, Canada and the United States for sure, and and it's something I'm really passionate about. And you know, it's just not a good thing. It, it's something that we need to be able to change our attitudes. I think it's got the way that it has because people have got away with with grabbing indigenous women over many, many years and nothing happened to them. And, and so they think they can, but they can't. And, and I think that we really need to, to do that. So Ruby kind of, Ruby Little Bear is the girl's name in this book. And she kind of shines a light on that. Um, so I'm really, I really wanted to mention that because it's a big piece for me uh, that's in there that wasn't in the original book. Hmm. And that's something that you, did you dream about that or how did, the, how did that come to you again about the Indigenous woman? That, yeah, that just came up. Like Jesse was, um, just, what happens is Jesse finds out that um, even though she's got a, she's had a bit of a flare up with, with Hawk over the deer, when she finds out that a friend of his that he grew up with, it's a mentor to him, is dying. She decides, she takes it on herself to go into the woods and find him and tell him because she didn't get a chance to say goodbye to the man that she loved, her fiance. And so she gets on her horse and, and wanders into the woods. But just before she does that, she leaves the, the shed doors open during a rainstorm and um, something gets in there and starts digging around in the shed. And they, when she comes back the, from the, her ride with the horse in the morning, she finds this hand, um, these bones uh, sticking through the dirt, and um, and that's how that's how she finds Ruby. And so, of course, she goes and tells the tribal police, and they start this search. So while they're while they're working on on discovering who who the the body is, she's off uh, finding finding Hawk and having her own adventure. And then everything comes together in the end. So it's. Um, it's it's a really it's really interesting how that happened. I didn't plan it. I don't plan anything, and and so I basically said to to Ruby when she appeared, I said, "Tell me your story." And I do. I also hear things a lot. So, 
I basically wrote down the whole story in one chunk of what happened to her. Wow. And then, yeah, amazing. And, yeah. And then I split it into small pieces and wove it through the story. So as, so it's part of the story. And then we discover Ruby, we hear Ruby's whole story in the end of what happened with her. Yeah. That's amazing. Very nice. Wendy, thank you so much. This was amazing. The time went by so, so quickly. Um, so thank you for joining us and we'd love to have you back another time. Um, we loved hearing about Lure. And um, so, you know, if you guys are watching us over on Amazon, the book is in the carousel. So please go and grab a copy um, of the book, Lure. Mm -hmm. Wendy, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was really nice to speak with you. Thank you. Big pleasure. Take care, everyone. We'll see you back next week, same time, same place, on another episode of the Writer's Corner live show. Take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.